This anointed teaching by Dr. Beverly Volmerans comes to you from Christian Family Church International. Heavenly Father, into your presence we come, dear sir, to praise and to worship you. We say this is the day that you have made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. We are so grateful for everything, Father. Thank you for giving us the precious Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you rise up big within me now, that you'll think through my mind and speak through my lips of clay. And I declare I'm a servant ready to be used by the Master. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you'll speak through me fearlessly, boldly, accurately, carried by the wind of the Spirit. Fear will be dispelled, but faith will rise up in the heart of your people. And we here at Christian Family Church will not only be hearers of the word, but we doers of the word. And therefore, we have great success in life. And everybody said, Amen. And you may be seated. Glory to God. This is the last part of my message, the three-part message of the process to promotion, part three. In 1987, which was a long time ago, there was a movie by the name of Fatal Attraction. I never saw it, actually, but I read all about it. It was a thriller. Dan Gallagher, played by Michael Douglas, was a very successful, happily married man. He was an attorney who lived in Manhattan, New York, where at work he met a woman by the name of Alexandra, and she was uh, in the publishing industry. So one weekend, while his wife Beth and his daughter Ellen were out of town, Dan thought he could maybe just have a consensual fling for the weekend with the sophisticated, exciting woman who most probably was younger than his wife. At that time, uh, Alexandra was a sparkling personality, outgoing, provocative, compelling personality. So he threw caution to the wind and thought he could just have indulged in one weekend of forbidden passion. Well, in his mind, he thought this one weekend fling, that's what it was all about, just one weekend. So he went away with this woman, Alexandra. He felt guilty about it, but he thought, I'll just put it behind me. My wife doesn't know, my daughter doesn't know, and I love them, and so I'm just going to move forward. Little did he know that Alexandra, the lady he went with, didn't have the same thoughts. She thought this was a budding relationship in the making. And so to his dismay... He discovered that once the weekend was over, not only did this woman view this affair as a beginning of a relationship, but also walking away from her was not as simple as he had thought. In fact, as the movie progresses, this woman becomes vicious, becomes violent, and his whole life becomes a nightmare. His life becomes a living hell. But remember, this man's tragedy began as a casual encounter. His life was full. He was content. He was successful. He clearly loved his wife. He doted on his child. There was no visible reasons or issues why he should be driven into the arms of another woman. He was secure in himself. He was prosperous in his job, but he was distracted. Everyone say distracted in this instance by a woman, and he fell into the trap. Note this. He could not have predicted the outcome of that casual encounter. The distraction was attractive, but distractions are attractive. It came in a nice package. 
and it gave no hint of the deep, unbalanced personality inside. And so it is with our lives, with distractions. The distractions that we allow into our lives could mean the death of our anointing, the death of our calling, and eventually, if we're not wise, the death of our God-given purpose. It always starts off, and it usually starts off by something small, maybe a text. But it progresses, and it gains more power over us. And it tries to distract our relationship with God and tries to weaken our faith in God. And ultimately, Satan wants to destroy our destiny. He's after the destiny that God has in your life and on your life. James 1.14 says... Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. In the Greek word, the Greek, in the Greek, the words for dragged away and enticed, they're fishing terms. How many fishermen do we have in the house? Because you will understand what I'm talking about. They speak of a fish being drawn out of the hiding place and attracted by a tempting lure. Expert fishermen know exactly where the big fish swim, and they know how to catch them. They know how to drop the bait into where the fish are, and then they are experts at luring the fish out of their hiding places. The fishers, unable to see the hook, and they're captivated by the appeal of the bait. The shining object grabs their attention. So let's see how the fish respond to temptation. Number one, the fish swims around the lure. He convinces himself there's no danger here. He persuades himself he'll never get caught. He tells himself he can take the bait and avoid the hook. To the fish, the lure looks like the real thing. It gives the illusion of the real food until it takes the bait and then it's hooked and the fisherman reels in that fish and the fish's life is over. But you know, family, it's the same way with temptation. Temptation gives us the illusion of fantasy and excitement. But when we take the bait, we succumb to temptation, devastation, destruction, pain, divorce, Broken lives, broken dreams, heartache are sure to follow. If you ask King David, after his adultery with Bathsheba, he murdered her husband, remember, Uriah? Later, the child they had from that relationship uh, died. And then if you ask Samson, after his fornication with Delilah, he lost his sight. And isn't it true, if we succumb to temptation, we lose the vision that God has for us. And he lost his sight. He sacrificed his place of leadership in Israel. So nobody escapes the consequences of succumbing to temptation. We live in a very sex-saturated society. The media fills our minds with those things that entice us and feed, which feeds our fleshly nature. If you look at movies, 
There is just full of temptation. Look at the internet, it's all there. Look at billboards, it's there. Look at magazines, it's there. But what the men don't understand, the women that you're looking at that are half naked on the magazine covers, they have been airbrushed to perfection. That they don't look like that at all. In fact, I read up one uh, movie star, she said she'd been airbrushed so much, she didn't even recognize herself on the front cover of a magazine. So what does Solomon say in Ecclesiastes 7.26? He says, I discovered a seductive woman is more bitter than death. Her passion is a trap. Her soft hands will bind you, and those who please God will escape from her. But sinners will be caught in her snare. So let's see how Joseph handled the naked truth about temptation. We pick up the story in Genesis 39. We find that Potiphar, the captain of the palace guard, he purchased uh, Pharaoh, uh, he purchased Joseph. He know, we know that Potiphar was in charge of elite, courageous band of men on the personal staff of Pharaoh. In Genesis 39, 2, it says the Lord was with Joseph and blessed him greatly as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. But it wasn't long before Joseph was placed in charge of Potiphar's entire household. But it was here that Joseph faced one of his greatest temptations imaginable. We notice in this passage there are five things about temptation. Number one, temptation is strategically timed. So when does Satan tempt us? Well, Satan looks for a time when we are vulnerable. In Joseph's case, case, the timing was perfect for Satan to tempt him. He was employed. He was a slave. He was in a strange city. He was far away from his friends and family. He was taken from the land where he was born. He was most probably lonely. He was a full-fledged, blooded man. He didn't have a wife. When will we be tempted? When we are vulnerable. Maybe at a low point in our lives after we've gone through a difficulty or a tragedy. Perhaps we work so hard, we're just plain exhausted, weary, and we could let our guard down. Or it could be after a period of success. But when temptation comes, we have got to be ready and prepared. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, We are very familiar with Satan's evil schemes. So number two, let's have a look at number two. Temptation is real. Genesis 39 verse 6 says, Now Joseph was well built and handsome. <laughs> and after a while, his master's wife looked at Joseph and thought, wow, he is amazing. He works out the gym every single day. He is built. What a fine dude. And she thought, I'm going to set my eyes on him, and he is going to be my prize. So after a while, his master's wife, in verse 7, took notice of Joseph, and she said, Joseph, come to bed with me. We call this the direct approach. <laughs> Remember this, family. Satan will never tempt us with something that is not appealing. Part of his wife must have been tempting, as Satan doesn't wa waste his time enticing us with something we don't 
desire. For example, if someone said to me, Pastor Bev, let's go down to the Shabin. Let's go and drink some cheap beer. I would rather eat a tarantula than do that. It's so not enticing. But part of his wife, she must have looked awesome. She must have looked fine. My husband and I were discussing her the other day. <laughs> Listen, if Esther had all the beauty treatments, maybe she had the beauty treatments. She must have had a great figure. She must have gone for her massages, her facials. Maybe she had a hairdresser. Who knows? Maybe she worked out, but she was tempting to Joseph. And she put pressure on him. <laughs> this is what the devil does. She put pressure on him daily, daily, daily. She was seducing him. Do you know, family, Satan doesn't give up. Therefore, we mustn't be caught unawares. We must be ready to face temptation, face it, and win in Jesus' name. Number three, temptation is available. Temptation is everywhere. In the church, I've never seen, I mean, men throw themselves at women, women throw themselves at men, married, not married. I mean, we've got to get ourselves together. People are living together in church. That shouldn't be so. I mean, I ministered to a girl. I know her well in San Antonio. I see her often. Been living with her, her, her boyfriend for many years. Her child is now 10. And I keep on telling her, you're going to miss a rapture. She doesn't come to our church, but she's in another church. And I said, you better go to court and get married. You're going to miss a rapture. Don't forget I told you, when you miss a rapture, you will remember Pastor Bev said, go and get married. We can't be living with one another. Listen, there was a, a very good-looking guy came, had pictures in the I Am Worthy store. Remember the I Am Worthy store? He, she was standing there having a picture with this gentleman and her husband. And the gentleman told me, the girl, I hope she was a visitor, not from our church, she was pinching his bum. I can just say Aish. Aish. Aish, girls. But temptation is everywhere. It's all around us. Movies, magazines, the internet, Facebook. And men are lured by good-looking women, but women are lured by kind men. You don't have to be look good-looking. you just got to be kind. Look at Ruth and Boaz. He was kind of an older dude, Right? But why did he get a beautiful young wife? He was kind. So women are attracted to kind men, single kind men. <laughs> now part of his house must have been a rich one. Most likely there would have been three stories to the building. And servants like Joseph usually worked on the first floor and the family occupied the upper stories. It would have been easy for Potiphar's wife to summon Joseph to the upper floor where she could have been alone with him. Come for coffee, Joseph. <laughs> I want to show you a few things at the house that he'd done. She no doubt was making herself available. 
Temptation is around us, and we've got to be on our guard. Number four, the fourth thing about temptation is that when we act upon it, it is incredibly damaging. It damages our family. It damages us. But above all, it damages our relationship with the Lord. Genesis 39 verse 8 says, With me in charge, he told her, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted into my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. Now listen to this statement. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, still persisting, trying to seduce him, he refused to go to bed with her. When David committed adultery with Bathsheba, he said to God, against you, in Psalm 51 verse 4, against you and you alone have I sinned. I've done evil in your sight. So how do we deal with temptation? Well, let's see what Joseph did. He took five steps to avoid temptation. Number one, he said, take responsibility for our own behavior. We see that in verse 9. He says, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin before God? He took responsibility for his own behavior. He didn't blame it on someone else. He might have said, he could have said, hey, what can I do? I'm just employed here. She's the boss's wife. Maybe I should submit to the boss's wife. Maybe I should go and give her a back rub. I mean, she's mighty fine. Um, but he didn't go there. He took responsibility for his own actions. Number two, he recognized sin is sin. Verse 9 shows us that Joseph recognizes that part of his wife wanted to do something that was wicked and terrible. Today we live in such, there's a, a different kind of world and there's a huge push in our culture today to discount what the Bible says about sin. The world discounts the, what the Word says and says the Word is old-fashioned and irrelevant. We live in a woke society, which is a dangerous society. It's a society which says evil is right and right is wrong. And I've come to tell you that whatever the Bible says, that's what's right. And everything else is wrong. I spoke to a lady on a flight from here to Cape Town, and she said, do you think you're the only one who goes to heaven? She said, I'm atheist. I don't believe in God. I told about the love of God. But I said to her, remember this conversation because you won't be an atheist the moment you um, let your last breath go to out there. You won't be an atheist when either the demons come to fetch you, you will go to hell. She did say to me, I like your passion for what you believe. <laughs> so I said, well, just remember me on your deathbed. I said, if I'm wrong, then you float into the air. But what happens if I'm right? Just accept the Lord on your deathbed and you'll make it to heaven. I'll see you there. Because what the Bible says is the word of God that is right. 
Joseph didn't, didn't discount what Potiphar's wife asked him to do. He saw it as sin. And so should we. Number three, he had a healthy respect for the Lord, the fear of God. We see in the last part of verse 9, Joseph recognizes that if he gives in to his fleshly desires, he will sin against God. Joseph had a deep relationship with the Lord. He loved the Lord, and he knew that it would grieve God, and he couldn't bear to think that he would disappoint the Lord. So our lives and loving the Lord and being concerned about what God thinks about what we're doing is a great key to living in freedom. Some people might think, hey, Joseph lost out on earth. But guess what? What some might think was an earthly loss for Joseph actually was a heavenly gain. God is always watching us. And he will always reward our good behavior. Number four, refuse to be present. How about that? We see in verse 10, not only did he refuse to go to bed with her, but he refused to be near her. How many marriages could have been saved if the husband or wife never hooked up with their friend on Facebook? Cut off those texts. Today, divorce is so acceptable. Our cultures endorse it so strongly. No one talks about the consequences of it, how the family is affected, how the children are affected. Joseph was a slave, and yet he did his best to avoid putting himself in a dangerous situation where he could be tempted, and we must do the same. Number five, what did he do? He ran away. <laughs> We're going to learn to run, baby, run. We see in verse 12, when he was avoidably confronted with temptation, he fled. Doesn't the Bible say we've got to flee from our youthful lusts? When Potiphar's wife grabbed his robe, wait a minute, family, he didn't uh, stop to use the moment to teach her about his faith in God. <laughs> he didn't say, hey, you know what? You're so amazing. You look beautiful. I feel so flattered. Um, but I'm sorry, I've got to decline. He didn't say, you know what, uh, part of his wife, it's nothing personal. He didn't say, you know, under different circumstances, we could have, you know, got together. Things could have been different. He didn't spend one moment in the conversation with her. He just ran away. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will also provide a way of escape. Run, baby, run! That you may be able to endure it. It is common sense. If you hang around the barber shop, you're going to get your hair cut. If you don't want to be stung, stay away from the bees. If you don't want to get burnt, stay away from the fire. Our goal is not to get, see how close we can get to temptation, but to see how far away we can stay from it. I remember Jesse Duplantis. He said the lady started flirting with him one time, and he just started shouting, Jezebel, Jezebel! <laughs> that took care of that. <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> 
Remember, guys, Jesse, the planters, take note. So to sum it all, when Joseph was sold as a slave into Egypt, he was just 17 years old, just a young teenager. But when he was elevated to a place of prestige, power, and authority by the power of Pharaoh, he was 30 years old. Joseph could have despaired over the loss of those 13 years of his youth. But those 13 years that were stolen from him, and God didn't arrange it, but through it all, God watched how he responded, watched how his heart responded to all the temptations that he went through. And because he responded correctly, God was training him for a greater position in his future. And that's what the Lord is doing to us, family. He is training us for greater positions for us in the future so that we can rule and reign in the future in our lives. We see that when he surrendered his life to the Lord, he remained faithful, trusting in God. And we see that God restored everything to Joseph, what the devil has stolen from him. And God is going to restore everything to you, family, what the devil has stolen from you in Jesus' name. His family was restored, glory to God. Your family is going to be restored. His heritage was restored. His freedom was restored. Your freedom will be restored. However, he received more than a sevenfold in return. Say sevenfold. Say, I will receive a sevenfold return in Jesus' name. He was made the ruler of an entire nation of Egypt. He was the second to Pharaoh. He lived in abundance. He had happiness. He had joy. He was given a wife. He had two children. He became a husband. He became a father. Later, he was restored to his younger brother, Benjamin, and enjoyed many years with him. Joseph was able to enjoy 17 more years with his father. There was supernatural restoration. Say, supernatural restoration. Say, I receive supernatural restoration. Say, I receive supernatural provision in Jesus' name, just like Joseph in the name of Jesus. Perhaps you feel you've been wronged. Perhaps you've made wrong choices in life or you've gone the wrong direction in your life. Perhaps your possessions or your relationships have been stolen from you. But I declare to you today that as we decide to submit to God and allow Him to create in us a pure heart, everything will be restored in Jesus' name. And God is going to give back to you, family, what the devil has stolen from you in the name of Jesus. And I declare you're going to walk in peace. You're going to walk in joy, and you will experience the blessing of the Lord on your life. Glory to God. And now I'm going to make some declarations over your life. In the name of Jesus, I declare supernatural restoration for the lost years in Jesus' name. I decree abundant harvest over your lives. Everything that the thief has stolen from you will be returned in the name of Jesus. I declare a sevenfold harvest of your finances, supernatural abundance come to you supernaturally in the name of Jesus. 
Hallelujah. Uh, so you can pay your bills and you have more than enough to bless your families in Jesus' name. And I decree a sevenfold harvest in your health in the name of Jesus. Glory to God. I decree a sevenfold harvest of joy and happiness and harmony in your homes and with your families and in your marriages in the name of Jesus. I decree a sevenfold anointing of favor, supernatural favor over your lives at your bosses, at your workplace, wherever you go in the name of Jesus. People will give you supernatural favor because of the anointing of God on your life in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that everyone under the sound of my voice is blessed going in and blessed coming out in the name of Jesus. And I declare over you that you're the head and you're the tail, that you're above only and not belief. And I say that you're more than conquerors in the name of Jesus. And family, the best is yet to come. Give the Lord glory in the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Volmerantz. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Volmerantz and would like to enjoy more resources, we hope you will visit our website at www.christianfamilychurch.co.za or for our American listeners, www.christianfamilychurchsa.com.